Good morning. Uh, let us seek God together. Will you, uh, will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we pray for your mercy and grace. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us as you did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That, Lord, our hearts might burn within as we consider the glory of Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Pause me just a second. There. Sorry. I've always loved maps. And as a kid, I really liked those maps in a book that would have plastic and you'd fold them over and they would build over time. My favorite was the United States. Or as I said as a little bitty kid, the new United States. And so it would start with the first colonies and then put another sheet over and the colonies would grow and you put another sheet over and, and then finally you get to the states and then you put another over and the states start moving east and another and they fill out and finally you get to the Louisiana Purchase and then you get to the Mexican uh, annexation of Mexico and then uh, since this was post-1959, you finally got a little box with Alaska and Hawaii, right? And then at the end, you had the full United States. I just love that. I wish I could find one to do that again. And this morning, we're going to do some mapping, as I say in the title here, of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we'll see their layers as well in regard to the kingdom of God. We start within God's general kingdom manifested over all of creation. You can see this uh, in your bulletin there. And these statements in Psalm show that, uh, declare him as the king of all the earth. Or Psalm 103, he's established his throne. His kingdom rules over all. And so God is this magnificent king who spoke creation into being and then sustains the whole creation by his power and then rules all of it. And he rules the world according to his own plan. He says, I know the end from the beginning. All of my plan will be carried out. Nothing will fail. God even overrules evil so that it will serve his ultimate purpose. Nothing falls outside his sovereign kingship. But I want to underscore something here. Remember that before he was a creator and a ruler, he was a father from all eternity. John 17, Jesus prayed to the father, you loved me before the world began. Before the world was made, God was always a father Loving his son always. There was always a father and a son. Because as our creed says, the son was begotten of God from all eternity. For there to even be a father, there had to be a son. God then is the begetting, outgoing life-giving Father from all eternity. It didn't begin with creation. Creation is the spilling out of that life into creation. As Michael Reeves writes, 
God doesn't hoard his life. He's the father of self-giving, overflowing love always. That is who made the world. That is who rules this world, this kingdom of all creation. And we experience the boundless goodness of this father in all of our enjoyment in this the kingdom of this world. It is the love of the Father that gives you a star-filled night or a cardinal on your windowsill or a dew-covered spider web or air conditioning on a hot Texas summer in your car or laughter with friends. Mike Cosper calls these, we call these love letters from the Father. Every single one of them. C.S. Lewis would call them tiny theophanies. These thousands of tiny theophanies from the Father. It is the Father's world. The Father is King. And we in Christ can say, this is my Father's world. And by His grace... I urge you more and more, rejoice in your Father's rule over this world. It is His world, His kingdom. But we come to a layer to put over that map. And it's the map of His special redemptive kingdom. The Bible teaches that in His love, the Father sent the Son into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Son took on flesh through the, uh, through the Virgin Mary and was born as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man. And at about 30 years old, uh, this Jesus began his public ministry of teaching doing mighty works of power and healing. And interestingly, some of his first words were these, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Indication in me, it's here. So though God had ruled the whole earth from the first instance of creation, now a new aspect of his rule was at hand in his son, Jesus Christ. So in that first map of the general kingdom of God, we lay this map within it of the redemptive kingdom of God, especially initiated by Jesus Christ. This was God's final redemptive rule come to town. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I think we especially catch the flavor of this special kingdom when in Luke, Jesus says to the Pharisees, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You get what he's saying? The presence of the kingdom of God is measured by its attack on the work of Satan. Remember our creed, we just said, to destroy the kingdom of Satan, to destroy the works of the devil. And so, in 1 John 3, 
John is talking about Christ coming. And there he says, the devil has sinned from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God has appeared, John says in that letter, was to destroy the work of the devil. He says, this is the reason he appeared. So all of, all of this kingdom can be described in this, this, these terms. Destroying the devil's work. So Jesus' appearance was the beginning of God's comprehensive mission to remove all evil from this world. Finally and completely to destroy all of the work of the devil. Kingdom of God is at hand. And so when Jesus is facing his own death in John 12, what does he say? Now. At the time of death, resurrection, and reign. Now, the ruler of this world is cast out. That's one of the most glorious statements, I think, in Scripture. Jesus, at the edge of death, saying, Now, now, he's going to be cast out. He will no longer own this world in the way he used to. Of course, he never ultimately owned, but it's this great swath of people that were under his dominion no longer was that going to be the case. And so he sees his cross as this casting down of the ruler, and he will deliver his people from being under the rule of Satan. That's the point, to destroy his works. So God says to Paul, when Paul is reporting it in Acts 26, this is his mission to the Gentiles, what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to life and from the power of Satan to God. So they may receive forgiveness of sins. There's the powerful movement of the kingdom doing what? Delivering them. From the power of Satan and bringing them into the life and presence of God to receive forgiveness of sin. And so the kingdom of God is a full out land and air assault against the kingdom of darkness. And in this deliverance, you see here, we receive forgiveness of sins. This is God's special kingdom of redemption, rescuing us from the guilt of sin and the condemnation of sin the final judgment of sin, and the bondage of sin. And so the quote there in your bulletin, as as Revelation opens with these words, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Freed us from our sins, but not only freed us from our sins, now we're a kingdom. We're under the king, and we're the new kingdom on earth. From all kinds of peoples collected, joined to Christ. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray, free us from our bondage to darkness. Free us from our guilt and condemnation. Free us from the judgment we deserve. Free us from our enslavement to sin. Free us from the evil one. You see, this even anticipates 
the latter part of the prayer, deliver us from the evil one. Exercise your lordship in our lives. Thy kingdom come. And when we are brought into the kingdom of light, then we become rocks dropped in water with the concentric circles of our influence so that those around us have the, at our best, happy prospect of being our neighbors or being our fellow workers or being in our family because of the goodness that we manifest, the humility and love and sacrifice that we sacrifice, the responsibility and faithfulness that we manifest. We become like green that is spreading into the desert. And so the kingdom of God is in us, reigning in us, but its influence spreads out from us. And it can be dramatic so that a William Wilberforce becomes a major agent in ending slavery in, uh, in the world, in England especially. But you think of how many people were influenced. There's the kingdom spreading out beyond to bring good to many, many people. And I want to say before we leave this point, if you do not belong to Christ, no matter how accomplished and successful you may be, the Bible would teach that you are not under your own power. You are under the power of Satan. Join the club. We all were under his power. But he has freed us from our sins. Listen how Paul puts it in Colossians 1. It applies to all of us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Conversion is always a prison breakout. Always. We all were in the domain of darkness. God has broken us out of there. Brought us into the care of his beloved son forever. And you think of the contrast of where we were and where we are. I love how it's put in First Peter 4. In verse 7, he says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Verse 8 says, be aware that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We were under the power of the one who, as Screwtape, the Screwtape letter says, were food for cattle. That's what the demons, that's what Satan would have us in darkness. Brought from that place where we were food, basically, into being sons and daughters. Because he cares for us. And I pray That you will experience this forgiveness. That's where the breakout begins. The forgiveness of sins. Here's a king who laid his life down for us. To ransom us and free us from our sins. He completely takes away the guilt of your sin. Past, present, and future. It's a permanent relationship of favor. So I urge you, won't you trust this king To bring you out of darkness into his kingdom. Won't you trust him to free you from your sin and to begin to care for you and to begin the journey of a new life 
with this king. So we've got this layer of the general kingdom of God where he rules over the whole world, but within that kingdom, God is carrying out this particular plan of the special redemptive kingdom of his son. And number three brings us to how this kingdom will embrace all people's In Revelation 5, this is the third time we've come to this passage. We had it in our liturgy. Uh, Scott uh, referred to this passage in his prayer, and we come to it again. Now, here's the scene. John has been brought into heaven, and we we, we read of some things that happen in chapter 4, but then at the beginning of chapter 5, the one who sits on the throne who created all things has this scroll in his hand with seven seals. And the question is, who can open this scroll? Nobody on heaven and earth can open it. That's the problem. And and John is ready to weep because of this. And the scroll represents the unfolding of history. And the one who takes the scroll is the one who's able to govern all of history. Who can govern history? Who can unfold what's going to be in the future of history? And suddenly, right in the middle of the throne... There appears a lamb standing as if he had been slain. It's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And he takes the scroll. And a new song breaks out. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? And here's our passage. For you were slain And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they reign on the earth. What a statement of the kingdom of God. How we become the kingdom of God. This lamb lays down his life for us. This lamb ransoms us. And it extends to the whole earth, to all the peoples of the earth. That will be the ongoing movement of this kingdom. And I thought about it as, as you'd think, well, what if we did a new sheet every day? We, we could keep adding to that sheet because there are more and more people becoming a part of the kingdom. You know, you get tired if you're doing that with the plastic sheets and you'd need bigger and bigger books to keep laying the map down because it's always changing because he's always bringing more and more people into his kingdom. He is on the move. You can say at the, at the establishment of that kingdom, when Jesus says the kingdom is here, it's comparable, as you've heard many times, to C.S. Lewis saying Aslan is on the move. <laughs> he is on the move and he will not be stopped. And Satan is bound now. He's bound for the thousand years of the remaining of history. He cannot stop the onslaught of Jesus into this world. What confidence this can give us in praying for the effectiveness of the gospel in the world. For places that are the darkest for God to break in with the glory and beauty of the gospel. For God to continue to extend the work of Jesus forever. 
It's so interesting that in Psalm 22, like no other psalm, anticipates the suffering of the Messiah. Psalm 22. Many of you know that, okay? And it's got phrases like this. They pierced my hands and feet. They divided my clothes among them and they cast lots. They mocked me. They, it foreshadows their mocking. It says they opened wide their mouths at me. So there's this poetry that just keeps talking about the horror and the pain of the suffering of this individual in Psalm 22, which anticipates the suffering of Jesus. Jesus then quotes that psalm, the beginning verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's this psalm, so much anticipating this pain. Here's Jesus fulfilling the, the suffering of all the right, uh, of all of God's people and standing in their place. But at the end of this psalm, things turn from darkness to light. And it's as though we've come out of death into resurrection. And listen to what it says. As a result of this death, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This is the effect of Jesus' death. It's the effect of his resurrection and his reign at the right hand of God. Psalm 2, in anticipating, anticipating that resurrection, says, "Ask God says to the Son, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I think Jesus asked for them. <laughs> I think that's the backdrop of Matthew 28 when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of the nations. And brothers and sisters, it has to first be applied to us. Here, here God has a people. Here God wants to use us to reach who knows how many people for the gospel. Jesus has died and he is bringing the nations to himself. And that includes this nation. That includes this city. That includes our neighborhoods. Let's be encouraged. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God. Begin to show us how we can reach these people. Tell, show us how we can best love them and care for them. How can we bless, glor, best glorify your name? What an encouragement of the cause of Christ. And finally, this last map that we lay over. And it's the fulfilled kingdom of God. Our catechism question calls it the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of glory. And notice these passages. Revelation eleven fifteen is a wonderful Theological statement. It helps clarify the kingdom of the world. Now, in Messiah, it reads kingdoms plural, but here it is singular. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, you see what that's saying is that this general kingdom of God ruling over the whole world, uh, that kingdom is now one with the kingdom of Christ. The whole of the earth has become the kingdom 
of the redeemed. The whole earth has become the kingdom of the redeemed. And even back in Daniel chapter 7, this is anticipated. It, earlier, it talks about one who, uh, who, like the Son of Man, who comes up to the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom. And, and the New Testament views this as Jesus receiving the kingdom from the Father. And Jesus himself apparently loved that title. That was his favorite title for himself because it was kind of under the radar, you know, what like blazing lights, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. He called himself the Son of Man. That's subversive. He's talking about the Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man who will receive the kingdom, which he alludes to later. But in that same chapter, notice. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's Jesus' version of this. The meek shall inherit the earth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said, it is your father's delight to give you, little flock, the kingdom. I, and, and I'm staggered by that. Every time I think about it, I'm a sinner who abandoned God, who despised him, ran away from him. He comes after me, comes after us. He sends his son to actually die for us. And it's not, as we've said many times, just so that we can sit in some corner of the backyard in the doghouse and just not bother him anymore. Just don't come in the house because you make me sick. But he so forgives us, so removes our sin as far as the east and the west, so identifies with us, us with Christ that we become heirs of Christ Christ will reign forever and ever. And as it says here in Revelation, we shall reign forever and ever. How can that be? How can we be kings and queens? Christ shall reign, says he's exalted above every power. He will reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Until he casts all evil and curse off of this earth. The earth is renewed. We are resurrected. And we live in the glory of the new creation. And all others are cast into the outer darkness and judgment. It is stark. The blessings given to his people that don't deserve it. And yet the horror of those who refused him. So, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for that final day. We are praying for God's kingdom to manifest itself in us more and more, to be spread throughout the world. We're praying for the final kingdom of glory to be established. And that's what gives us ultimate hope, no matter what is going on in the politics of this country or any other country. It doesn't matter in that regard. Yes, it's important. Yes, we need to vote. All that. Right. I got you. But our, the future of the kingdom of God does not float up and down with the, the fate of America or any other country. 
It is in God's hands. God is bringing it to his conclusion. God will gather all of his people. Jesus said with sovereign tones in John 6, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. That's a king talking right there. That's a king talking. May we pray for the accomplishment of his great redemption. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, make us stand in awe of your glory, Lord Jesus. Eternal Son with the Father, dwelling in eternal love. And out of your sheer goodness, the Father gives the Son. And the Son does not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but pours himself out and becomes a servant for us. And dies in our place and then shares with us what he has won. And we reign with him. How can it be, Lord, that we are now your brothers? You're not ashamed to call us your brothers. Men and women, boys and girls, we're all your brethren. And you make us heirs right alongside of you of the kingdom. And we will reign with you forever. Lord, may this all the more enable us to trust you with our lives, to sacrifice ourselves, to turn from sin, and to give ourselves up gladly to the will of such a gracious, glorious, powerful king. Oh, Lord, turn us from darkness. Deliver us from evil. Amen.